When Esau was 40 years old, he married Judith, the daughter of Barim, the Hittite, and Basemah, the daughter of Elan, the Hittite. And they brought great grief, yours may say grief, to Isaac and Rebekah. Now it came about when Isaac was old and his eyes were too dim to see that he called his older son Esau and said to him, my son. And he said to him, here I am. Isaac said, behold, now I am old and do not know the day of my death. Now then, please take your gear, your quiver and your bow and go out to the field and hunt game for me and prepare for me a savory ditch for which for me, such as I love. And bring it to me that I may eat it, so that my soul may bless you before I die. Rebekah was listening while Isaac spoke to his son Esau. So when Esau went to the field to hunt for game to bring home, Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice goats from there, that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father, such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father, that he may eat, so that he may bless you before his death. Jacob answered his mother, Behold, Esau is a hairy man, and I am a smooth man. Perhaps my father will fill me, then I will be a deceiver, be as a deceiver in his sight, and I will bring upon myself a curse and not a blessing." But his mother said to him, Your curse be on me, my son. Obey my voice and go. Get them for me. So he went and got them and brought them to his mother. And his mother made savory food for such as her father, his father loved. Then Rebekah took the best garments of Esau, her elder son, which were in her house, and put them on Jacob, her younger son. And she put the skins of young the young goats on his hands and on the smooth part of his neck. She also gave the savory food and bread which she had made to her son Jacob. Then he came to his father and said, My father, and he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Please get up, sit and eat of my game that you may bless me. Isaac said to his son, how is it that you have had it so quickly, my son? He said, because the Lord your God caused it to happen to me. Then Isaac said to Jacob, please come close that I may feel you, my son, whether you are really my son Esau or not. So Jacob came close to his father and he felt him and said, the voice is the voice of Jacob, but the hands are the hands of Esau. He did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother, brother Esau's hands. So he blessed him and he said, are you really my son Esau? And he said, I am. So he said, bring it to me and I will eat of my son's game that I may bless you. And he brought it to him and he ate and he also brought him wine and he drank. Then his father Isaac said to him, please come close and kiss me, my son. So he came close and kissed him. And when he had smelled the smell of his garments, he blessed him and said, see the smell of my son. Is like the smell of the field which the Lord has blessed. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and the abundance of grain and new wine. May people serve you and nations bow down to you. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. 
Cursed be those who curse you, and blessed be those who bless you. Now it came about, as soon as Jacob had finished blessing Jacob, or Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, and Jacob had hardly gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, that Esau, his brother, came in from the hunting. Then he is also he also made savory food and brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. Isaac's father said to him, Who are you? And he said, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came in and blessed him? Yes, and he shall be blessed. When Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out an exceedingly great and bitter cry and said to his father, Bless me even also, my father. And he said, Your brother came deceitfully and has taken away your blessing. Then he said, Is he not rightly named Jacob, for he has supplanted me these two times? He took away my birthright, and behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And he said, Have you not reserved a blessing for me? But Isaac replied to Esau, Behold, I have made him your master, and all of his relatives I have given to him as servants, given him as servants, and with grain and new wine, and I have sustained him. Now as for you, then, what can I do for you, my son? Esau said to his father, Do you have only one blessing, father? Bless me, even me also, O oh, my father. So he lifted up his voice and wept. Then Isaac, his father, answered and said to him, Behold, away from the fertility of the earth shall be your dwelling, and, all, and away from the dew of heaven from above. By your sword you shall live, and your brother shall serve, you shall serve. But it shall come about when you have become restless, that you will break his yoke from your neck. So Esau bore a grudge against Jacob because of the blessing which, with which his father had blessed him. And Esau said to himself, The days of mourning for my father are near, then I will kill my brother Jacob. Now when the words of his elder son Esau were reported to Rebekah, she sent and called her younger son Jacob and said to him, Behold, your brother is consoling himself concerning you by planning to kill you. Now, therefore, my son, obey my voice. Arise, flee to Haran, to my brother Laban. Stay with him a few days until your brother's fury subsides, until your brother's anger against you subsides, and he forgets what you did to him. Then I will send and get you from there. Why should I be, be, be bereaved of you both in one day? Rebekah said to Isaac, I am tired of living because of the daughters of Heth. If Jacob takes a wife from the daughters of Heth, like these from the daughters of the land, what good will it be? What good will my life be to me? So Isaac called Jacob and blessed him and charged him and said to him, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. Arise, go to Padam Aram, to the house of Bethuel, your fa mother's father, and from there take to yourself a wife from the daughters of Laban, your mother's brother. May God Almighty bless you and make you fruitful and multiply you, that you may become of many peoples on the earth. May he also give you the blessing of Abraham to you and your descendants with you, that you may possess the land of your sojournings, which God gave to Abraham. Then Isaac sent Jacob away, and he went to Badam, Padam Aran, up to Laban, son of Bethuel, the Aramean, the son of Rebekah, the mother of, Jacob's, of Jacob and Esau. Finally, now Esau... So, now Esau saw that Isaac had blessed Jacob and sent him away to Padam Aran to take for himself a wife from there and that he would 
And when he blessed him, he charged him, saying, You shall not take a wife from the daughters of Canaan. And Jacob had obeyed his father and his mother and gone to Padam Aran. So Esau saw the daughters of Canaan, displeased his father Isaac. And Esau went to Ishmael and married, besides the wives he had, Mahalath, the daughter of Ishmael, Abraham's son, and his sister, or the sister Nebaioth. Let us pray. Our gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. And Lord, as we consider what we might learn from the characters of these passages, we pray that we would see with eyes of the Spirit that you would help us, Lord, to learn how we might avoid the same pitfalls that these made in their time. That you would help us, Lord, to fix our eyes not on earthly blessings, but on the heavenly inheritance that is ours in Christ Jesus. We give to you all praise and glory and honor. Be glorified, uh, and I decrease that you may increase. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Please be seated. Brothers and sisters, we come this morning to a familiar text, isn't it? I think that if many of us are uh, clear in our memories, we might say, I remember this passage from someplace. Many of us know this story well. And could it be that we are drawn to stories like this? Could it be that there is something in us remaining sin that is somewhat entertained by this passage? rather than grieved by this passage. What is revealed for us this morning is a tragic story. It is a tragic account of a family that has been dismantled by sin. The sin of neglect, the sin of dishonor, the sin of disrespect and deceit, the sin of selfishness and greed, the sin of self-pity, and ultimately the sin of faithlessness. What is more, this is the family out of which the skull-crushing seed of the woman would emerge. This dysfunctional family. This is the family out of which the Lord Jesus Christ would come. What has happened to the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah? Upon the reading of the 24th chapter, we see the eyes of Isaac and the eyes of Rebekah meeting for the very first time. And we might conclude from their first interaction, and they lived happily ever after. We might conclude from Isaac and Rebekah that they are the, the type, and you know that type, that every year around Christmas they send you a picture of their perfect little family that makes you want to throw up. Their marriage is so perfect. Their kids are so perfect. Brothers and sisters, we must be on guard against thinking that what Hollywood and what Disney portray in their fairy tales concerning romantic and perfect relationships is what takes place in real life. Wives, and even husbands maybe, we should never watch a romantic movie with a fairy tale ending and then elbow or pinch our husband and wife 
wishing that they could give to us that kind of fairy tale ending. It's not real life. Real life began to hit Isaac and Rebekah. Real life hit Isaac and Rebekah when famine tested Isaac's faith. Real life hit when these two were forced to move from one place to another in search of water wells that they could claim as their own. And real life hit when these two, for 20 years, painfully waited for the Lord to open the womb of Rebekah. And then real life hit again when Rebekah experienced a war within her womb and received this explanation from the Lord, two nations are in your womb. Two peoples will be separated by from your body and one people shall be stronger than the other and the older shall serve the younger. It would appear that the marriage of Isaac and Rebekah grew colder and colder as the years went on and and maybe even reached its freezing point when the children exited the womb of Rebekah. First to come out was the older son, Esau. And Isaac clung to this little boy. He was the apple of his father's eye. Esau was the, the son of Isaac's love. They were both men of passion. They were both men of fleshly appetites. While Rebecca clung to her younger son. He was the joy of his mother's heart. His passion was much like his mother's. He was an able chef, as we have seen. Also a man of great instinct. He was cunning. But he was also manipulative. Just like his mother. He knew how to get what he wanted. And this morning, with God's help, we will draw back the curtain on these five main characters here in this large portion of Scripture and see what they show us as they take main stage this morning for us in Scripture. But brothers and sisters, this is no play. This, my dear friends, is real life. This took place at a real time with real people. So let us see what we might learn from these individuals this morning. And let me say, just as a caveat this morning, forgive me ahead of time uh, if I tend to confuse the different names that we have this morning. I will try my best. Be gracious with me when I fail. Number one, first character, Isaac. We meet Isaac, and he's now an old man, isn't he? His physical senses are rapidly drifting away along with his old age. His sense of sight, as we shall see, has grown dim. For he will not have the ability to see who it is that has entered his tent. His taste, as we shall see, has also betrayed him. He is not able to taste the difference between wild game and domesticated goat. And in our study... This reality has suddenly come upon us, hasn't it? It was not long ago in our study that Isaac was but a young boy following his father up Mount Moriah, decrying to his father Abraham, Father, the wood is here, but where is the sacrifice? And just as quickly as he was saved by the hand of the Lord from being slain on that covenant-fulfilling day, Isaac then is suddenly 40 years old. He is 40 years old without a wife and without children of his own. 
And then the Lord providentially provided a wife for Isaac. And the scriptures then fast forward. We don't know how many years. We know that Isaac dies at the age of 180. And the Bible says that he is nearing his death at this time. But he is an old man. He is an old man with fleeting senses. It would appear that Isaac, Isaac's physical senses, though, are not the only senses that are escaping him. In the dimness of his senses, Isaac calls his oldest son Esau to himself so that he might bestow upon him the blessings of Abraham. Notice that Isaac refers to Esau as my son. When we come to Rebekah, she will say to him, now my son. And this is a fact. It may sound like an insignificant fact or an insignificant point, but it's one that we must pay attention to. For Esau was truly Isaac's son in the sense that he was the favored son of Isaac. He was the son of Isaac's love. He had two sons, but there was one son that he really loved. Evidence is found in what Isaac requests from his son, apparently in secret. I wonder if you noticed that. He's sending his son on a mission. He calls his son to him himself, and he sends him on a mission so that his soul might bless him before he dies. Now, we may read right past it and think, so what? It was the normal custom of that day that when a man was setting his house in order to call all of his family together so that he might have all of them bear witness to the inheritance that he is giving to each and every one of his loved ones so that there might not be any kind of dispute as to what the will of the father was. We see this later on in Genesis chapter 49 when Jacob calls together all of his sons so that he might bless them. Isaac doesn't do this. Dear brothers and sisters, it was because Isaac was not only growing dim physically, but Isaac was growing dim spiritually. We could rightly assume that when the Lord spoke to Rebekah, about his intentions, his will, his purpose to have the, the older, Esau, serve the younger, Jacob, that Rebekah did not keep this to herself. But rather, Rebekah communicated to her husband all that the Lord God had said to her. And yet, as time has passed, Esau began to display all of the characteristics and attributes that pleased his father. So much so, he pleased his father so much so that Esau, though he was not chosen by God, was chosen by Isaac. And Isaac would do everything in his power to ensure that the blessings of Abraham would be passed on to his beloved son Esau and not the one that God has chosen, the beloved Jacob. Isaac was directly opposing the will of God. He was so blinded by his love for Esau that he was even willing to go against the explicit will of God about who was to be the one to receive the blessings of Abraham. Oh, Isaac loves his son. That's no vice. 
Brothers and sisters, it's no vice to love your children. Here is the vice. He loves Esau more than he loves God at this point. That's the sin. He loves Esau more than he loves God. And that, my dear friends, that is a grave sin. How can I make such a, a declaration? Because Jesus Christ said in Matthew chapter 10 and verse 37, He who loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And he who loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. Isaac was guilty of this sin. Esau had the heart of his father. It seems that Esau could do no wrong even when Esau marries women that have been forbidden by Abraham. Esau still is preeminent in the heart of his father Jacob. He shares the same passions as his father. The Bible explicitly says over and over again that Jacob loves. What, what kind of food does Jacob love? Savory food. It seems that the Bible says that at least seven times. Savory food, savory food. He loves this savory food. It's the kind that Esau knows how to make. It is interesting, though, isn't it, that Abraham also had a son that he loved. And it was a son that was not the son of promise. If it was up to Abraham, Isaac would have not been the one to receive the promised blessings. If it was up to Abraham, the blessings would have gone to Ishmael. You might remember Abraham pleaded with the Lord that he might give the covenant blessings to Ishmael. Oh, that Ishmael might be the promised son. But it was not what God had determined. No, the will of God was this continuing theme, this continuing motif that the older shall serve the younger. That God would use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. Isaac, the younger, was called to rule over Ishmael, the older. This was against the cultural norm of that day. And yet, Isaac knew what it was to be the younger and yet favored child, even still. When the same theme from God was given to his own family, he did not submit to the word of God like his father Abraham, but he sought to thwart the plans and purposes of God. Isaac knows the mysterious workings of God firsthand, doesn't he? And yet he is unwilling to yield to the plans of God because he's, he's drawn up his own plans. His spiritual sight has gone dim not yet been erased for the faith of a true believer the faith of a true believer it can never be eradicated but it can grow dim it can be extremely foggy you know what bakersfield fog is like especially if you've driven through the weed patches of bakersfield before it's hard to see the only way that you're able to progress another mile is by looking at the lines on the right side or on the left side, making sure I don't pass those lines. But yet I cannot see what is ahead of me. His faith was growing dim. Our confession, chapter 14, paragraph 3, states that those who possess true saving faith may at times be assailed and weakened in faith. At his old age... 
when he should have been a pillar, an example of faith. Isaac was weak in his faith. And stubbornly fighting against the will of God. He was the man who knew the promise of God. Brothers and sisters, if there was a man on earth who could attest to the promises of God, it would be this man, for he was virtually resurrected from the dead on Mount Moriah. He was as good as dead in Abraham's eyes. And yet, the Lord allowed him to live so that he might be a witness to this fact that God keeps his promises, that the will of God will be done. This is also a witness to us. The inheritance that we leave to our children that is most valuable. It's not a car. It's not a watch. It's not a, a special item of clothing. The inheritance that we leave to our children that is most valuable. Is the good news of the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. It's the inheritance that will last an eternity. It will not be a fleeting inheritance, a wasting away inheritance. So Isaac calls his son to go out to prepare for him food, the food that he loves, because he is going to, at some point soon, pass from this earth unto the next. Let's look at the second character in our story, Rebecca. Now, Lest we begin to think that Rebecca was any less an idolater than her husband, let me say that she is even worse. The Bible describes Rebecca as what? What's the, what is one of the first things that we see described about Rebecca? She is hardworking. She is hospitable. And, and later the scriptures describe her as being very beautiful. But as the story continues, we see that her beauty was only actually skin deep. She will grow progressively more and more hideous as we move forward in this narrative. As Isaac gave the instructions to his son Esau so that he might receive the blessing of Abraham. There is someone who overhears this plan, which gives us an indication that it's being done in secret. There is someone who overhears this plan. It is Rebecca. It would appear that Isaac has called this son Esau in private, and as he has called him in the privacy of his tent, there is Rebekah. And she is leaning in on what is being said. She is leaning in on the plans of Isaac, and her heart is quickly racing, and she begins to concoct a plan for her son, Jacob, for he is truly her son. So that he might intercept the blessings of Abraham from his brother Esau. The scriptures say Rebekah said to her son, for she is the ob he is the object of her love. He is the, the joy of his mother's life. For they have much in common, don't they? They share the same disposition of deception. They were cut from the same cunning cloth. We shall see more evidence of this when Jacob meets his uncle Laban. Laban, who is Rebekah's brother, that being cunning seems to run in that side of the family. 
We know that. We know that when we see our children grow, we see that you're getting that from that side of the family. We always seem to give all of the negative attributes to the other side of the family, don't we? That's your mother's sides talking there, right? But listen to Rebecca, what Rebecca does. Rebecca enrolls her son. Without his consent at first, you are going to do this. She enrolls her son in a plan to deceive her father. Look at it again, chapter 27, verses 6 through 10. We'll read it very quickly. 6 through 10. Rebekah said to her son Jacob, Behold, I heard your father speak to your brother Esau, saying, Bring me some game and prepare a savory dish for me that I may eat and bless you in the presence of the Lord before my death. Now, therefore, my son, here's her plan. Listen to me as I command you. Go now to the flock and bring me two choice goats from there that I may prepare them as a savory dish for your father such as he loves. Then you shall bring it to your father that he may eat so that he may bless you before his death. This was Jacob's mother doing this. Let me say that again. This is Jacob's mother. She was supposed to protect her son. She was supposed to guard her son from the path of deception, not lead him on the path of deception. She was calling her son to sin, to break a commandment, the fifth commandment, not codified yet in stone, but from creation and printed on the heart. You shall honor your father and your mother. Have you asked your children to sin for you? Do you ask your children to lie for you? Good. Have you asked your husbands or wives to deceive for you? Oh, he's sick today. Oh, you know, something happened last night and, and, and you, you are on the spot trying to make up something believable. Dear ones, we should at all cost be encouraging one another to holiness, not wickedness. And we must see, we must not see what we think to be innocent as such. There's no such thing as innocent deception. It's an oxymoron. It's a complete contradiction. Jacob is alarmed by the plan, and he has one question, and it should be an obvious one. What if I get caught, right? What's going to happen to me if my father recognizes that it's not really Esau, but it's really me? Rather than getting a blessing, what if he curses me? What if he turns me into a frog or something, right? That's what I'm thinking of. It's a serious concern. Jacob is no fool. And yet Rebecca is so determined that her son would receive this blessing that she's willing to risk any kind of consequence that may arise. She's willing to take the consequences on her own shoulders. She says, let the curse be on me, my son. It's reminiscent of the Jews who, when Pilate washed his hands of the blood of Christ, were quick to say, let his blood be upon us and our children and our children's children. 
She did not care what happened to her as long as she got what she wanted. She had a love for her son that she did not even have for God. If there is a love that is greater than our love for God, it will end in ruin, brothers and sisters. She did not think this thing through, did she? She did not pray to the Lord and ask for his wisdom and for his guidance. She was wise in her own eyes, and the wisdom that she acted upon will ultimately end in her own sad, sad demise. All that she is doing and all that she is willing to risk, let me ask you the question that that I asked myself as I was studying, who is this really for? Was it all really for Jacob? So that he might be blessed? It may appear that it was out of pure love for Jacob. But it seems like she has her own intentions, her own motives for her own self as well. In the end, it would appear that this is actually for her. That she is somehow living vicariously through her son. And it is a most selfish deceit. Brothers and sisters, parents, we need to ask ourselves always when we are pushing our kids to do something, who is this for? Is this for them, for their own good, or for me, that, that I might somehow live through what they are doing? And I wonder if she tried to justify her sinful actions by saying, but this is what God intended. This is what God told me would happen. And we don't need to manipulate God's word in order for it to come to pass. If God has said it, it will happen. God does not need our help. He does not need our uh, sinful actions in order to help him bring his covenant promises to pass. If God has said it, it will be done. She's not interested in how God will fulfill his promises, though. She is a woman who has no faith. And for all her manipulation to get her son this blessing, she ultimately loses her son in the very end. All of this, she will even weep and moan and say, if Jacob marries one of these women, one of the women like Esau is married, I'm going to die. Mothers, I hope that that never be the case for you and your sons. That if if he marries this woman, I'm going to die. Isaac listens to his wife. It, It is her plan to get Jacob away. And he will be sent away. And as far as we can tell, he will never see his mother again. Her love for Jacob will cause her to deceive her husband. Her love for Jacob will cause her to allow her older son to become even more bitter to the point that he will seek to kill her beloved son. Her love for Jacob will actually cause her to lose Jacob. He will run away in the end. And her love for Jacob will cause her to lose her own good reputation. For she does not have a joyous send-off in the scriptures. She seems to be gone from the narrative. And whenever the scriptures just kind of dismiss someone from the narrative, 
It is really dismissing them from the family of faith. What has happened to Rebecca? When we first meet her, she's a woman of virtue, a woman of faith. She's hardworking, willing to serve. She was trusting in the providence of God to bring her to this new land and to her new husband. She was a woman who trusted the Lord when she was barren and who sought God's wisdom when there was a war waging within her womb. When God told her the older will serve the younger. And it may have been there. It may have been at that moment that Rebecca's love for God began to be dominated by her love for the younger. It may have been when the hairy, uh, animal-looking child first exited her womb. She began to feel more love and affection for that smooth-skinned baby, you know, the one who's better-looking. Than she had for God. She knew the will of God. And rather than trusting in God, in spite of what Isaac was planning on doing... That she would believe that God would have his way. Instead of that, she went about accomplishing the will of God by her own wits. By her own cunning devices. And now she has fallen by the depths. To the depths. By way of faithlessness. She's described as beautiful. And now she is hideous. The Bible calls the wife to be one who honors and respects her husband. The Bible calls the, the woman who does such a thing to, that she is lovely, that she is beautiful. Wives, can that be said of you this morning? That you honor and respect your husband. That you follow his lead. That you honor his leadership, that you respect his word. That you would not seek to manipulate him in any kind of way, whether it be with your emotions or whether it be with your threats of what you will do if things continue the way that they are. Are you a faithful helpmate to your husbands? Rebecca has lost all respect for her husband that she had. She's not beautiful. For the woman who dishonors and disrespects her husband is hideous in the sight of God. I can remember being a teacher, a fourth grade teacher, and there were times when I would have parent conferences. And the two father and mother would sit there, and I would sometimes uh, need to excuse myself for a moment so that I may allow my uh, frustration with the wife who is putting down her husband in front of me. To subside so that I can come back in with a clearer mind and try to get through this parent conference. It's not a beautiful sight at all. Let me also say about Rebecca, if there is anyone who loves you more than they love God. Then you are an enemy of that person. Because you will, will, you will do no lasting good in their lives if they love you more than God. Your love for them is like a sweet drop of poison that's placed in their life. Don't let anyone love you more than God. Don't allow yourself to be someone else's idol. Rebecca will not have an honorable end. Her end is 
She is just left out of the rest of the pages of Scripture. The only time that we see Isaac and Rebekah speaking again, and they don't speak, it's really strange, they, they don't speak, but the only time we do see them speaking is when it's all too late. Her son will be lost. And she kind of loses both sons in the process. Let's look at our third character, Jacob. Jacob is at least 40 years old when this has happened. He is spiritually blind, or at the very least, spiritually weak. And how do we know this? Jacob is not able to withstand his mother. And his main concern is that this deception was an act, not that this deception was an act against God, but that his main concern was that he might get caught. He was not concerned with this was an, an, an act of sin against God or an act of sin against his father. He was more concerned with the fact that he might get caught. The brothers and sisters, may I say to you, those of you who are wrestling with sin, if the sin that you are wrestling with, if your main concern is that I better stop because I might get caught one day, then I would say to you that your main concern would be repenting before God and asking Him to change your heart. Because you will not one day be caught by men, but you will one day ultimately stand before God and be judged for your sin. Our main concern should always be this is against God and His Word. Jacob is also concerned about what if I get a curse rather than a blessing? Esau's hairy, I'm not. What if he wants to fill me and catches me? And his mother has it all handled, doesn't she? She puts on Esau's clothes for smell. She puts on the skins of young goats on him just in case Isaac wants to fill him. She's trying to make sure that, that when the tests come, he is prepared to get past them, deceptively speaking. His mother has also prepared the game for him. Other commentators have said that Isaac was actually asking for venison, but he got goat. And because he is such ad so advanced in age, he's not able to tell the difference between the two. And so there is Jacob, if you can see it in your mind's eye, there is Jacob. He is standing outside of his father's tent, uh, wrapped in this goat hair, Wearing his brother's stinky, I'm sure, clothes. <sighs> Here we go. One last deep breath. And he enters into the path of deception. Upon entering, Jacob is faced with five opportunities to confess his sin. I wonder if you see them. Here, here they are. Who are you? I'm Esau. Number one. How did you find the food so fast? Your God gave it to me. Third one. Come near that I might feel you. You feel like Esau, but you sound like Jacob. Fourth one. Are you really my son Esau? Yes, eat. Come on. Let's get this over with. And fifthly, come close so that I might smell you. Ah, the smell is the smell of the field that the Lord God has blessed. At each turn, Jacob responds with a lie, with deception. 
And isn't he rightly named, Esau will go on later to say, isn't he a supplanter just like his name says? One theologian has said that sin is like a door, a door to a room. And when you go into that room, there is now two other doors that lead to more rooms and more doors. And what is said is that one sin leads to many other sins. Until you turn around and you don't know how to get out. The old saying is what a tangled web we weave when at first we something to deceive. I was chasing my wife one day at school when we were both working together. And those days she used to be able to run like a gazelle. (laughs) She had run down a flight of steps and I chased after her. In my young days, I I would not do that anymore, but I missed the first step. And once you miss the first step, there is nothing stopping you from missing the second, third, fourth, and I think seventh that I ultimately hit the floor on. Oh, she loves that story. Look at her back there. She's smiling with ear to ear. Sin is like that. Sin is that great deception that once you step in like quicksand and you begin to move, you ultimately sink quicker and faster until you don't know how to get out unless someone pulls you out. Notice what Isaac does or Isaac asks. He says, how did you catch the game so quickly? This is more evidence of the fact that he is spiritually either blind or weak. Here's his answer. I've never hunted before. Once upon a time, I put a stick inside of the Kern River, and a catfish took my piece of meat. That's the, the extent of hunting that I've ever done. But I imagine that hunting takes time. Animals don't wait for you and say, here I am, come and shoot me, let's get this over with. Rather, you need to go find them and wait for them until they appear. You overtake them. Then you've got to go cook the food. Isaac has a very smart a- a question. How did you get here so fast? How did you find all of the things that are to be found so quickly? And here is Jacob's response. Because the Lord, your God, caused it to happen to me. He did not say, because the Lord, our God, the Lord, my God, it's your God who's done this. He is still unconverted, isn't he? And he takes the name of God in vain. He breaks the third commandment. And not just saying God's name with a curse. Did you know that that's not just the only way that you break the third commandment by saying God's name with a curse? One of the other ways that you take God's name in vain is using God's name to perpetuate a lie. Lies that are damnable. That's why false teachers are not just dangerous because of their prosperity gospel. They're dangerous because they say it in the name of God. They... Over and over again, take God's name in vain. This is not yet Jacob's God. He has been predestined, but the faith that he has been predestined to has not been yet realized. At this moment, this was his father's God, his grandfather's God. He's not yet Israel, the prince of God. He's still Jacob, the tricky supplanter each of these tests were times when jacob could have said no father you've caught me it's me i repent forgive me father 
But each time he goes further and further into his sin. And he seems to be in a hurry, doesn't he? Get up, eat, <laughs> let's do this. He wants to get this over with as quickly as possible. And he finally achieves what he has been wanting. He gets the blessing. Now, he, he already has got the blessing. Who did he get it from the first time? The first man of passion, Esau. The second time around, he gets it from the one who officially will give him that blessing, and that is Jacob. And here it is in verse 28 and 29. Now may God, listen to the blessing. Now may God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth and an abundance of grain and new wine. May peoples serve you and nations bow down to you. Now listen to this. Be master of your brothers and may your mother's sons bow down to you. Cursed be those who curse you and blessed be those who bless you. Do you hear that language? You hear what Isaac is saying? In this blessing, he wants to ensure that the younger will serve the older. He says, make sure I, I am blessing you and that your mother's sons, they will serve you. He wants to ensure that nothing will break this blessing, not even what God has said. The blessing attacks the one who will rule over the other. This language of ruling over your brothers goes directly against what he knew God said. That the younger will serve the older. And he's saying, no, 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 no. The older will be served by the younger. But who is he blessing? Who is he blessing when this is taking place? It's, it's almost comical. He's blessing Jacob. He doesn't even realize that God is using his free actions. He's doing this by his own free will. He's using his own free actions to accomplish the very will of God. Exactly what God has said is exactly what is taking place. He's saying, let your brothers serve you. And Jacob is standing there and saying, yeah, that's exactly the way God has said it, isn't it? Jacob seems to then quickly escape the picture, almost as if as he's walking out, Esau's looking at him dressed all funky and strange and saying, what is that guy doing as he goes in? And if you can imagine Jacob taking off all of this, get this brother's stinky stuff off of me, this hair, putting on his own normal clothes and saying, mom, what do I do now? It's done. He's deceived his brothers. He is a twisted man, and it will take a long time before God untwists the twistedness of this man. Let's move to our fourth character, Esau. As we read of Esau, we might be tempted to feel somewhat sorry for Esau. Oh, Esau, poor Esau. It may appear that he's just been dealt a bad hand. But dear ones, nothing could be further from the truth. Esau's made his own bed, hasn't he? And now Esau must lie in the bed that he has made. It began when he freely and foolishly sold his own birthright for a bowl of red lentil stew. He did that. God did not force him to do it. It was of his own free will, and yet it was the plan of God that the younger shall be served by the older. And he regressed even more when he went against the command of Abraham. Doing what? Marrying a Hittite woman. A woman. Listen to this. Marrying Hittite 
women. Is he not a man of passions? He does not marry one woman. He marries two women. And they are two women from the Hittite country, which is the Canaanites. They are Canaanite women. He marries women of the land that Abraham distinctly said, do not marry these women. They will lead you astray. And if two were not enough, he marries two more. And who are they the daughters of? They are the daughters of the Ishmaelites. He saw that my father is not pleased by these Canaanites, so I'll go marry the Ishmaelites. At every turn he takes, he is showing that he is a child, a seed of the serpent, and not a seed of the woman of faith. He can't even bring himself to marry within the family of faith because he is not one of them. Brothers and sisters, Esau is no victim. And yet in this passage, he presents himself as a victim, doesn't he? He returns and he calls his father. Hey, father, sit up. Eat the game that I've caught for you. This is an important moment. As Isaac hears the voice of his beloved son, for he knows that voice, he is shaken literally to his core. Look at verse 33. Then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was he then that hunted game and brought it to me so that I ate of all of it before you came and blessed uh, before you in, and blessed him. And this is what he says. Yes. And he shall be blessed. Brothers and sisters. Uh, we don't know how long it had been. But quite possibly for the first time in a long time. Isaac trembled as he once did. At the word of God. The eyes were nearly dim. They were nearly closed and shut. But for those who belong to Christ, your eyes shall never fully and truly be shut. You may walk through the dimness of fog for a time. You may wrestle with sin and the flesh and the devil for a time. But if you belong to Christ, you will ultimately be brought back to him and your sight shall be restored. Our confession speaks of this in chapter 17, paragraph 1. Though many storms and floods arise and beat against them, yet they shall never be able to take them off the foundation and rock by which they are fastened upon, notwithstanding through unbelief and temptation of Satan, the sensible sight of the light and love of God may be for a time clouded and obscured from them, yet he is still the same, and they shall be kept by the power of God unto salvation. They shall enjoy their purchased possession, and they, being engraved upon the palm of his hand and their names being written in the book of life from all eternity if you belong to him you belong to him and you will never unbelong to him you are his he is yours no matter what you experience no matter what deserts you walk through no no, no matter what times of of darkness you seem to be traveling through you will always be brought back to the light because you belong to him. Isaiah 66, 2 says, But to this one I will look, to him who was humble and contrite in spirit, listen, and who trembles at my word. 
Isaac would die at the age of 180, but not before his eyes, his spiritual eyes are reset back onto Christ and to the promise given to his father and to him. And what does Esau do? He moans. He weeps. He cries out at the top of his voice like a victim. Isn't his name correctly, Jacob? He stole my birthright, and now he has stolen my blessing. Well, Jacob actually didn't steal anything from you the first time, did he? There was a deal. I'll give you this soup if you give me that blessing. Fine, take it. I don't need it. You see how he treats himself as a victim, and he's almost doing this as if he's whining to his father who always overlooks all of his mistakes. You see that? He's already sold his blessing and birthright, but now he's coming to, and I hate to say it this way, he's coming to daddy, hoping that daddy will fix it and make it all right. But Isaac can't fix this one. Isaac now realizes He's been fighting against God's will this entire time. And there's no more fighting. He believed that because he was his father's favorite, that his father would be able to override all of his errors. It does seem to be the the fault of Isaac all of his life, but no more. Isaac now sees... Esau begs his father, give me something. Isn't isn't there anything left? And in verse 39 and 40, he kind of gives to him what's not really a blessing. It seems more like a curse. You won't live in the land where where it is flourishing. You will be away from land that is flourishing. You will be oppressed, if you will, by your brothers until one day you break that yoke. And that will come many centuries later. Esau... There's a way that he consoles himself. And here's how he does it. Okay. Dad's about to die any day now. And when he does, that trickster is a dead man. And it's reminiscent of Cain. Cain, whose anger rose up against his brother Abel when Abel was accepted by God. Rebecca, she learns of this plot. And so she encourages her son, run away. Go back to my country, the country of your grandfather Abraham. Go to Haran. There you will meet my uncle Laban. And he is a character. We will see. She goes to her husband. And the only record that we have of them actually speaking is this. I'm going to die if Isaac, if Jacob ever marries someone like the ones that Esau's married. Send him away. That's her way of getting Jacob safe. If we can get him out of here, and Isaac will go along with this, since he now sees, he'll go along with saying, yes, he should not marry these women like Esau's done. Let him go back and gain a woman as I have gained you once upon a time. Send him away. And before he sends his son Jacob away, he gives him a proper blessing the blessing of Abraham. And you've heard it before. May the Lord multiply you. May the Lord bless you. May all nations be blessed through you. 
He gives him that blessing. Now, there is one more character in the story. Have you noticed who it is? The last and final character in the story is the Lord God Almighty. No, he is not spoken in this chapter. But his hand is all over this story. He is ordering and orchestrating all, three, all things and doing so by the free choices of men. Before they were even born, God has said, the younger, the older shall serve the younger. And God's will is being done. God has a secret will. What are the decrees of God? The decrees of God are his eternal purpose according to the counsel of his will, whereby for his own glory he hath foreordained whatsoever comes to pass. God is in control. He is working all things after the counsel of his own will. He is orchestrating, but not only orchestrating, he is also overseeing all of his plans and purposes and making sure that they are being fulfilled of him and to him, through him and for him are all things. The secret things belong to God, but there is a revealed will. And that is for us and our children. We who believe. Did you know the greatest sin that was ever done? Is the Lord of glory, the Lord Jesus Christ, being crucified. Did you know that? It's the greatest sin ever done upon men. Christ being killed. And yet Peter says, it was the will of God. Men acted freely to put Christ to death. And it is exactly what God had determined and willed for the Savior of the world. And it would seem in our eyes that God draws out his plans with crooked sticks. But he does so that he might use the foolish things of the world to confound the wise. And isn't that encouraging for your own lives? Lord, why this? Why now? Why him? Why her? Why this job? Why this church? Why this much money? Why these this many kids? Or why no kids? What are you doing? Brother Louis said the other day in, in conversation, I hope he doesn't uh, be upset with me for, for saying this, but he's uh, East Bakersfield growing up, Southsider. And he said to a group of kids who were locked up, and look at God. Puts me together with a northerner. Someone from Fresno. Well, well, in that world, that would be crazy. I would never do something like But God does things, doesn't he? God orders things in ways that we could say, I, I would have never guessed this. But for whatever reason. God has a perfect plan and purpose even through it. Even though we can't see it. Pastor Zay said a long time ago that sometimes we only see the crash of the rock in the flowing river. And sometimes we can only focus on all of the, the splash that it creates. And we sometimes fail to notice the wonderfully beautiful ripples that follow thereafter. Brothers and sisters, we don't know the plans of God. What we can do, though, is turn to his word and see what he has commanded for his people. 
see what he has designed for his people and how we are to live and how we are to worship and how we are to function as the church in this world, in this day and in this time. And trust that as we are seeking to, as best we can, by the help of the spirit, obey him. That it will go well with us. And that even when things seem to be discomforting and difficult, that even still God is with us. And that he is ordering and orchestrating all things. Sometimes the wheels, yes, they are turning and it seems to be, they may be turning in opposite directions. But God's will will be done. And in the end it is good. And it is for our good. And it is always for his glory. Let's pray.